when we're trying to like hurry up and fix an issue, I think that's what causes anxiety as well. We're not really patient with ourselves. We're not giving ourselves the ability to cope with all of these adjustments. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Sallow. And this is the podcast where we use philosophy, but you don't like use. I mean, on every single episode, we keep saying okay. I don't like use. If you want to go with use, go with use. How about, what about apply the principles? We employ, okay, all right, we apply the principles. Well, okay, I am a philosophy professor, and so I can't help it. I look at it through that lens. And you are a lawyer who has great wit and enjoys sci-fi, and you look at things through that lens. And you have a fear of aliens, which was brought up before and brought up again in this episode. I have a lot of fears. I'm an open person on this particular podcast, on on very particular podcast episode, and on various of our episodes. I suffer from some anxiety. In fact, probably every lawyer that's out there has that as a part of their personality. Like they might be, you know, kind of an anxious person. So this was a very helpful episode for me to, not just for me, but I think for those that have some anxiety about re-entering into society as the pandemic winds down, that was one of the focuses of this uh, podcast episode. How do we get back into society? What is agoraphobia? What is, what are these fears? Are they rational fears? What's the difference between a rational fear and, and like a legitimate fear? Like what is anxiety and how can you deal with it? And we talked with a doctor that works in this, a psychologist, Dr. Gallery Solomon, who she's, yes, she's a personal friend of mine, not, not because I, because I use her as a psychologist, I don't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ruin our friendship that way. That'd be terrible. <laughs> but I think it's a very helpful episode right now. Very, um, very today, very, very helpful for those that are, that are fearful as we're getting out of the pandemic about getting back into society. It is. Cause I think we have a lot more anxiety right now because of the pandemic, but something that I really liked about this episode was that there's, you know, different, not only different types of anxiety, but different levels. And something I was interested in is what is good anxiety? What is, uh, what can be helpful? I know for me, when I was preparing for this, I was thinking about a couple times in my life when I experienced the most anxiety and they were actually really positive things. It was before I defended my dissertation. I remember I couldn't eat and I was so nervous. And for those of you listening, if you don't know what a PhD defense is like. It's open to the public. And it was a book, you know, the dissertation is essentially a book. It was like a 300 page book. And you stand at a podium, say a few things about it. And then four professors who are experts in that field have your book in front of them and they pellet you with questions and it lasts for over an hour. And I just sweat through my clothes. I had so much caffeine, no food, and I was so nervous. But that anxiety was actually a good thing because it was marking a new way in which I was going to be in the world. It was marking a transition. And so sometimes I think anxiety can be helpful. The other time I think I was anxious when I'm you know, really looking back on it, it was the night before my C-section. I couldn't sleep the night before because I remember going to bed and thinking, oh my God, how am I going to sleep in the morning? I'm going to the hospital and I'm going to have surgery and I'm going to have a baby. This time tomorrow, I'm going to have a baby. So that anxiety, I think, can actually be really good because sometimes if you shy away from things that cause you anxiety, you can actually shy away from maybe, um, I don't know, some sort of great movement or change in your life. 
So we talk a little bit about that, but we also talk about some causal factors for anxiety. Is it innate? Is it, you know, from society? Is it from social media? And what are some other things that we talk about? Aliens. I think we, we talk, talk a little, okay. talk a little <laughs> bit about aliens and my fear of public transportation and yeah. I love of public transportation and, and like how, what's it going to take for me to get back onto public transportation? It's a very helpful episode. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, then let's talk anxiety. Gellerite, welcome to Good Is In The Details podcast. We appreciate that you're joining us today. We're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart for reasons that will be explored on this episode, and I'm sure listeners and everybody else will appreciate it. We're going to talk a lot about anxiety, but before we do so, we should probably let the audience know, why are we talking to you? So who are you? Why are you an expert on anxiety? First of all, thank you for having me on. It's an honor. I am Dr. Solomon. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I think I treat a variety of different kinds of people that come into my door, come into my office. Well, now it's all telehealth, but used to come into my office. I just love to work with anxiety disorders, probably because I'm an anxious person myself. You know, they say you go into psychology to uh, solve your own problems. That's in a nutshell who I am and what I like to do. You said something interesting there. You admitted to something, which I'm going to be admitting to throughout this entire episode, is that you're an anxious person. Mm -hmm. Was that the reason why you decided to study psychology? Was it, were you trying to fix yourself? Were you trying to fix whatever anxiety issues that you had? Was that what drove you or was there something else? I think that it was one of the driving forces other than the fact that I just love the psychology of the mind. You know, educating yourself about whatever problems you have is a big guide in trying to solve it, I feel like. I think somewhat I wanted to know, what is it? What is it about? And yeah, how can I help myself and my patients as well? Yeah, one of the reasons why, I, I mean, there's many reasons why I'm on this podcast, but one of the reasons why I got into this podcast great was- Great, yeah, I do have gray hair, it's very true. Uh, but, but that's not the reason why, because this is not a video podcast, it's mostly an <laughs> audio podcast. One of the reasons why is because I, I wanted to use some of the classical philosophical teachings in order for my own self-help to deal with my own anxiety issues. I mean, I, I've admitted on here and, and elsewhere that I, I have OCD-like problems and, and, and issues, which were, you know, pre-COVID, I had to do a lot of work in order to like, you know, stamp it down and become kind of a functioning member of society and, you know, shake hands and, and, and be, you know, you know, normal. And then all of a sudden, you know, during COVID, I had to unlearn all of the things that I was doing before with, with the crazy hand washing and not touching doorknobs. And just, you know, I've discussed that in other podcasts, but one of the reasons why I've been on this podcast is to try to use philosophy for self-help purposes. Something that I was exploring and, and reading about was stoicism and, you know, stoicism Stoic philosophy. I, you know, got Marcus Aurelius books and I think, okay, I'm, that's it. I'm going to become a Stoic. I'm going to become that person in the modern definition of a Stoic. And, and Gwen will jump in here and correct me as opposed to necessarily the classical period. The word Stoic commonly refers to someone who is indifferent to pain, pleasure, grief, or joy. I thought if I, if I didn't care anymore, that all of my anxiety would go away. Gallery, tell me why that's a stupid way to approach uh, uh, things. Because it is. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you can't not care in order to deal with anxiety. If this is the time to start defining anxiety and defining what is the root of it, that's great. I just know that my approach, like typical, is ridiculous. Maybe you can recognize it. So I, there might be, sorry, Gallery. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just like, maybe, maybe the word caring is, is different. Maybe it's kind of like this Buddhist idea of attachment. Like you can be aware of that stuff, but then how much you invest into it is what would make the difference. I don't know. Okay. Dr. Solomon, I'm sorry. You, go no, I, you know, I've tried to, I've tried to, we, on up, other episodes, I've discussed the attachment and in the Buddhist yeah. attachment and not trying to be an attachment. So I've, I've definitely, I'm looking for help. Dr. Solomon, please help me. <laughs> okay. So I think that maybe I should define anxiety. I think that was a good question first. It's an intense and excessive, persistent worry and fear about any everyday situation that you're in. And, and fear is an emotional response to a real or a perceived imminent threat. Anxiety is anticipation of a future threat. So I think that's important to understand when you're trying to treat anxiety because um, we do not have control, obviously, of things that are in the future. So what I try to explain to my patients, and I guess it is a little bit of a, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a little bit of what Buddhist viewpoint is, is to be present focused? and not really focus on the past or the future. Right. And I'm, I'm going to throw in um, the existentials here. That's, that's something that I worked on a lot that in my dissertation, and I teach a class on existentialism, that the concept of anxiety is that, as you said, it's this awareness that there's this openness of possibility, that there are different avenues and it's unknown, whereas fear has a concrete object. Like you can have a fear of spiders. You can't have an anxiety of spiders. But the way that the existentialists approach it, so this wouldn't be a crippling type of anxiety, but that there is a healthy dose of anxiety because it is this awareness of freedom, that you are responsible for your existence and you have that, that responsibility is what brings that anxiety and that there are this manifold of paths that you can take. The person who does not have any anxiety probably doesn't feel responsibility for the world because their path has already been carved out for them. And that could actually be problematic. You don't really want to be the person who has no anxiety. So I guess my question for you is, is there, in your opinion, a healthy dose of anxiety that is quite normal with the human condition? And then where does it become problematic? It sounds like when you said excessive and worrying, that that's when it's interfering with your life. Can anxiety be a good thing, like motivating you or propelling you? Um, yes, I agree with you 100%. It could definitely be a good thing because it is a motivational force to like kind of push you to succeed and uh, do the things that you want to do. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's like a little push. It could become intense and excessive when it interferes with your functioning. So if it gets in the way of work where you can't complete a task or your, you know, your social relationships where you can't hold friendships because you know you're so scared of leaving the house now you've got agoraphobia then obviously uh it's not good but yes a healthy dosage it's great i mean because it i think uh, the majority of successful people have some form of anxiety to uh, motivate them and not only just for motivational reasons i feel like having anxiety is like a warning sign of something within me that I might need to check and not fix, but like get on track again. So it's a little bit of a warning sign too, when I'm feeling like, you know, heart palpitations, sweating, you know, all the symptoms that varies from person to person, but you know, when you're starting to feel anxious and I feel like it helps you because it warns you that, you know, it's coming up again, you might need to get yourself in check. So it's good for that. And it's good for motivational reasons. 
So overall, yes, it's a good thing. Yeah, I would imagine that it's kind of a a self-protective mechanism, that anxiety isn't in and of itself a bad thing, and it also shouldn't be dismissed, but that it is your body giving you an alert signal to pay attention to something that's going on. Yes. Rudy, did I answer your question? Yeah, no, you did, because it's, um, I was clearly going about trying to deal with my anxiety the wrong way by trying to, to adopt and trying to become a stoic, i.e., well, I, I don't, whatever happens, happens. I, you know, quote, unquote, I'm a stoic, nothing can affect me. It's just impossible with my personality. However, the whatever happens, happens, i.e. letting go of control, being present, stop having the constant, well, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that, that goes through my head in both good and unhealthy ways is really, that's the core of, of the issue. Yeah. Um, that's the problem. It's, it's the constant what ifs. So yes, you, you did answer my question. It's basically, I'm trying to solve for the wrong problem. I'm trying to pretend like I don't care, where in reality, I have a control freak problem and I'm trying to control the future. And I'm trying to you know make sure that all of the unpredictable things that could happen won't happen. And that quote unquote, that's causing me all the anxiety. One thing that you did bring up when you were talking was you mentioned agoraphobia. I know what that is. Gwen knows what that is. And I'm sure generally people knows what that is. But do you mind defining that? And then I'll ask you a question. It's an anxiety disorder. There's so many of them. There's a list of different anxiety disorders. And the umbrella is, is the term anxiety. Agoraphobia specifically, I can yes. give you some diagnosis if you like. Please, yes, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's important because I, I think that's actually going to be very relevant for a lot of our COVID-related discussions. Because I think what has happened as a result of, once you read that, I think this might be applicable, but as a society, I feel like we are now all agoraphobic in a way. And I'm wondering, I'm hoping we can get some concrete steps as we're coming out of COVID, whenever that is, maybe, maybe that's in a month, maybe that's in three months, maybe that's in six months or a year. What are the real concrete steps that we as a society can take in order to, you know, kind of come back together? But first, what is the definition of agoraphobia? Okay, so the definition is a marked fear or anxiety about two or more of the following five situations that I'm going to be reading to you. Number one, using public transportation. Number two, being in an open space. Number three, being in, enclo in enclosed places. Number four, standing in line or being in a crowd. And number five, being outside of home alone. Okay, so I meet three of those five now as a result of COVID-19. You may or may not know this, but I used to be one of the most hardcore public transportation users. Like I write for Forbes.com. I'm a transportation correspondent. I used to be all about public transportation. And as a result of COVID, I have a death fear of getting back on public transportation, number one. Number two, I used to go to two concerts a month. I loved crowds. I loved parties. I loved, I loved being in tight places listening to music. I don't even know if I'll ever do that again. And one of the, the other things was, you know, just being in crowds or something like that. I'm clearly agoraphobic as a result of COVID-19. I was not before. What can I do to address this? Or is, it, is this healthy for right now since we're still in a pandemic? I mean, I feel like it's valid. I don't know about healthy, but I feel like it's valid. We are in a pandemic. So I feel like we need to be patient and have some grace. Because when we're trying to like hurry up and fix an issue, I think that's what causes anxiety as well. We're not really patient. 
patient with ourselves. We're not giving ourselves the ability to cope with all of these adjustments. You know, wash your hands, wear a mask, don't go near people. And that would cause anybody to be anxious. And then now we're reopening schools and we're, re you know, people who are vaccinated go ahead and mingle now in small groups. So yes, it's going to cause a little bit of anxiety or maybe a lot for some to just adjust to this new norm. And I think the main thing we have to remember is patience. Patience with ourselves, giving ourselves that flexibility to adjust to this whole new world that we're a part of. I remember, um, so we, me and my husband got vaccinated and some of our friends did, and we went over their house. We were just gonna have our kids play outside, okay? We're just gonna do outside things. And it was so cold and windy that my son was like, mom, I'm freezing. And then her, uh, our friend's husband was like, you know what, just come on inside. I was terrified. And, and they said, come on inside and don't worry, take your mask off. We're all vaccinated. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know if I could do that. And everybody did it. And of course our kids did it immediately because they were so happy. I feel like they're so happy to get back to whatever they were used to. And I, I, I just couldn't take that mask off. And his, her husband was like, you know, I totally understand if you're not comfortable, keep it on. And I just felt so weird and icky about the situation. So um, it's something we're just going to have to adjust to and be patient with ourselves and don't like make any rules and assumptions that we have to, because they're taking their mask off, I need to take it off or, you know, I'm going to be weird or what if this or what if that, again, all that future thinking. I like that word that you said, and that's grace and having some grace with ourselves and allowing ourselves to be patient. And when you're ready to be back in society or when you're ready to take off that mask, uh, then you're ready. Maybe it'll be a couple years, but that's you. When you're ready to go back on public transportation, when you're ready to get on an airplane, get on an airplane. Yeah. Um, at what point, Gallery, just throwing this out there, and I know this is going to be, you know, difficult uh, to answer because we're, we're, you know, we're still in the middle. We're literally in the middle of a pandemic and we're talking to a professional about anxiety. It's amazing. At what point, though, and I'm, I'm trying to look into the future, if, you know, you and I and our families, we get together and then you ask me, let's say it's 2020, let's say it's 2023. And you say, hey, Rudy, have you ridden the train or the bus? And I still look at you and I look at your face and I say, no. At what point do you say, we need to talk professionally? I mean, I think it's like any other anxiety disorder. When it interferes with your day-to-day -day functioning so much so that you just can't cope. You know, you can't go to work. You can't, you can't mingle with friends. You're, you're depressed. You're suicidal now. I mean, when it really affects your functioning, I feel like, you know, it's a bigger issue. But I, I definitely feel like it's valid given the circumstances. I don't want to make it an issue per se. I just feel like I want to validate it because we're all in it. I, this actually brings me to a question about how much of anxiety is something that is caused and how much of it is that you are you're born with? But so I, but I mean by a causal factor. Hi, Zadie. Okay, Zadie's joining the pod. By a causal factor, I mean like let's say the pandemic, and then that causes anxiety versus being born. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Um, It'd be a fun one to to edit, and yes. you are the master editor. But uh, <laughs> I, I have full faith in you. 
Okay, we might just keep that. I mean, you know, why not? Maybe. Zadie uh, just knocked something over. Okay, very so, well so done. So I think, think the question is, is how, how much of anxiety are you, nature versus nurture? Are you born this way or, or the experiences in your life that resulted in anxiety? Is that the question? Yeah, and I do want to squeeze one more question in. And that is, are there ones that are more attributed to, let's say, gender or age or ethnicity? Uh, yes to all those questions. There is a genetic component to anxiety disorders. There are some that are more prevalent in males versus females, culturally as well. Like I said, there's a variety of different um, anxiety disorders. Uh, for example, separation anxiety disorder, selective mutism, agoraphobia we talked about, specific phobias, panic disorder, generalized anxiety. I mean, the list goes on. So each one specifically has a percentage of how much how much is it genetic and how much is it innate and how much is it um in this culture and you know it each one varies i would love an example can can you think of an example Ooh. of a specific anxiety that is in one culture and not in another or that's particularly american and let me piggyback on that just really quick uh you know gallery knowing that you're middle eastern and i'm middle eastern there is something kind of cultural and interesting there in both the Middle Eastern culture and in the Asian culture, you, you're really not supposed to wear your shoes inside of the house. And the reason why you're taught from your parents is, well, you bring, you bring the dirt inside the house. Like, don't do that. It's very funny because like I'm, I'm always going, whenever I go to somebody's house, I want to take off my shoes because that fear is there. Oh, I'm bringing dirt into somebody's house. Oh, I'm going to offend them in that sense. Just kind of funny because you, you were mentioning like, you know, cultural little things. I think that when it comes to the Middle Eastern culture, yes because I remember growing up and my parents would put plastic on our couches. Okay, so like I, didn't under, I did not understand that. They would only take it off when we had guests. So like when we sit on our couches, we have to be uncomfortable with plastic. Like it's almost like saran wrap all over it. And when guests come over, okay, take it off. So yeah, I think some of these are culturally driven, but to be honest with you, we would be here forever to go over each one. And I don't know, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly which one it is culturally based and, and the percentage of how much it's genetically predisposes us to be. Um, I'm looking at the DSM right now and it says something in, on each diagnosis about culturally related diagnosis. So, it says cultural interpretations may influence the determination, for example, of panic attacks as expected or unexpected. And there's cultural specific symptoms may be seen. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, like, let's say a young black man pulled over by the police, right? Like, is that fear versus anxiety? That would be, that's a radically different experience than let's say if I'm pulled over by a police officer, or I'm also thinking of young women and the anxiety regarding their body, that that could be a cultural thing that propels body dysmorphia or an eating disorder. Those are great questions, by the way. Those are fantastic. Thank you. I agree. I agree. Let's talk about the African-American that gets pulled over. I think that's relevant for the time right now and I think that they would have a higher sense of anxiety because they live through things that we do not live through so we may not get pulled over for the same reasons and so naturally when they are driving they're gonna cite more anxious symptoms 
okay? Maybe they're a little bit more afraid of their surroundings and it's valid given the circumstances of what they have to live with and what they have to deal with. So I think overall, we just have to be sensitive to other people's experiences and their sensitivities to the world around them and realize that it could be completely different from ours And that's okay because each person comes from a different background. I'm also thinking about the police officer who used her gun instead of the taser. You know, why, what she was perceiving was a, was a threat. Why would, if there's other police officers there, you have a 20 year old unarmed person. Would you feel that much threat that you need to, that you need to use some sort of a weapon? Now, if the person apprehended had been, let's say, Asian or white, I don't think you would have had the same thing. So what is built into that situation is an irrational, anxious, maybe fear. I don't know. That's what I'm also thinking, not only like for the person who's getting pulled over, but for how the officer would respond. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think that... Anxiety is an innate way of dealing with our stressors, okay? It's like a fight or flight uh, symptom that gets created in us. It's meant to protect us from danger and to allow us to react faster to emergencies. Our ancestors could use this to prepare like an attack or like to run away from a potentially very dangerous situation. Let's say a wolf is following them, a bear is about to come and eat them. Um, but now the fear in, in, in the modern world is um, becoming a little irrational. Like you said, the 20 year old, I think it's important to name his name. So Dante Wright. Dante Wright. Dante Wright. So what was that about for the police officer? Was that an irrational fear? Was that, you know, our ancestors could use that anxiety and actually use it as a good defense mechanism to protect themselves. Now, are we using it to a detriment? Are we using it in ways that are completely irrational? I mean, I don't know. I think we are. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you brought, I mean, the whole ancestral, uh, we're humans. We're alive today because some semblance of us survived whatever they survived previously. I mean, you know, they had to, they weren't the king of the jungle. They were, they weren't, I mean, they didn't have fire. They didn't have weapons. Like the ones that survived are literally our ancestors. I mean, truly, you know, probably had a lot of like, you know, real anxiety about where are they going to get their next meal? How are they going to protect their children? They got to watch out for, you know, animals, et cetera. So it's almost like it, it literally is in our DNA, like we humans today. And, you know, we do have a, a, a fears to deal with, don't get me wrong, but like compared to what our ancestors had, it's like, you know, it's like night and day. And how do you best deal with it? And I do feel like, at least for me, I mean, Gallery, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong. Is it as simple as letting go of control? Like stopping trying to control, if you stop to tr- try and control every outcome, you will find some peace in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have to um, tell, ask yourself a few questions when you're in an anxious situation. You have to ask yourself, what exactly am I anxious about? So I have to pinpoint the reasoning behind what's going on with me. So I guess you have to be a little bit more insightful or mindful about what the reasoning is. Why am I anxious right now? And what is within my control? What is outside of my control? 
And then finally, how can I improve what's within my control and not waste my energy on what's not in my control? So it is a control issue and it is being able to differentiate between what's inside and outside of our control and define what am I even anxious about right now? Those questions are great. I, I think I'm going to write those down and, and like keep them in my wallet or on my phone and, and look at them the hundred times a day that I'm anxious. So I appreciate that. No problem. I have read that young people are experiencing more anxiety. Is it being more diagnosed or is there really more anxiety? I think people are becoming more open and talking more about their symptoms. They're a little less afraid of saying, just like I said during this podcast, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm an anxious person. I think people are more comfortable with being truthful. I think it's always been there for years and years and years. I think it's just maybe the level of comfort that they're having. I think younger people are just more comfortable with speaking than us old folks. <laughs> I think they're more excuse open. you. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, Gwen's only 25 and she's never aged a day over 25. So we, me and you are the old folks. And someday, someday Zadie will be, but not Gwen. Somehow she got some magical fountain thing. Sorry, I have to stand up. It's called Botox. I need to go get some. Um, so yeah, I think we're, they're, they're just more comfortable talking about it. It's not that it's less more now and less before. I don't think so. I don't know. I have to look at the statistics and it would be hard to really answer that because I don't know if people were as open before and really talked about this stuff. Can we blame social media? Is social media making everybody more, uh, the, those young little ones, you know, cause we old folk, we're not on social media, but what role are you aware of, of social media playing a role in the younger generation's anxiety? I think that social media is a tricky thing. I think that it is both amazing and extremely destructive. So I feel like, let's go destructive in the sense that, you know, you might post something and somebody doesn't like it and they give you a real comment and it's very rude and mean spirited and it's, it's a form of bullying that really start to affect the person and, and causes very high level of anxiety for them because now they're completely future oriented in their thinking and they're thinking thoughts like, you know, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna talk to this person? Nobody's gonna like me. Uh, how can I uh, navigate around this? You know what, I can't, it's too much. I'm depressed now. I'm even thinking about suicidal thoughts. So it could really affect a person in a, in a bad way, as, as well as good ways, to be honest with you. Yeah, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, um, Angela Grell, about, uh, we, we tried, we tried to, I mean, we definitely talked about the negatives of social media, but we certainly tried to talk about the positives of social media. Um, and she's got a great book on it. And just like everything, double-edged sword, like you could really go down rabbit holes of negativity in social media, or, you know, you can put a little bit of control over it. Like we, we had a good episode with um, Aaron Darling about how like you can limit the time that you're on social media. You can limit the people that you get comments from. You can use it as a tool for positivity, but that is truly within your control. That's an interesting, it's an interesting thing about the control thing. Cause if you, if you approach those social media with just wide open, uh, it, it can cause a, a, just like you said, a lot of damage. I have a question about, I'm thinking I'm back to this mind body issue that, you know, for a long time, we thought of mental states as like this thought bubble, something that didn't occupy physical space. But with the onset of drugs to help with what are mental states, we're learning that mental states are actually physical states, that it's the brain. But how much do we, 
if anxiety is the umbrella term and there's like this huge list and there's all these different drugs and there's therapy, it's making me wonder, do we really know what is going on? <laughs> what do the drugs do? What are some myths about them? What can they not do? And because it seems like if it really were like a, just a purely physical thing, like brain activity that's being corrected through a new chemical that's being introduced, then why would the other things be needed? You know, like I'm just trying to figure out, I think at heart, what is it that we really know about what anxiety is? I am definitely not a medication expert. So that would be a psychiatrist. That is my limitation there. Um, I think that medications you brought up help anxiety drastically, but it also is a bandage in my opinion. So like if they come to like therapy sessions and they're medicated, oftentimes we really have nothing to talk about. Once they get off the medication, oh my God, do we have tons and tons to address. Um, so I think it kind of like helps hmm. them so much because it, it helps them, so to speak. Does it help them, Galeray? The anxiety is so impactful and so destructive that they can't function, uh, they can't go to work, that they can't leave the house. Does it at least help them get to do like the nor quote unquote, the exactly. normal things? Is right. that, is that right? Okay. Yeah. So it helps them so much that they could start functioning. Problem is oftentimes because they are functioning now, we don't have, they don't remember, they're not going through all the struggles. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to, uh, to navigate and, and solve some of these um, anxiety related issues. Am I answering your question, Gwen? I don't know if I'm answering. Yeah, I think I'm just curious. I, something that I think is fascinating is this idea of it being a mental state when actually if it were just a mental state or that there was like this non-physical part to you, then the drugs wouldn't make any sense. And so I think that that kind of intrigues me of this being a physical thing, that anxiety is a physical thing. It's not a non-physical thing. So in the same way, like, you know, if you take Tylenol for a headache, like we wouldn't say the headache is non-physical, it's physical, that anxiety is in that, is in that same loop. I think maybe that's the reason why people maybe are slightly more open to it. But when somebody is being treated with medication for anxiety, it's not treated the same way as if they were taking medication for a heart condition, right? Like it's, we still haven't gotten to this point where people recognize it as a physical thing. And I'm just wondering if I'm on track with thinking about it as a physical thing. I think you are. And, and to piggyback on when you're saying they're not treated the same, do you mean society? You mean, do you right. mean society, societal view? Like people still don't feel open about like, oh, I'm a, oh man, I'm a, I've been on Zoloft for, for 10 years. Or, oh man, I've been on Boost Brown or, oh, I'm, I'm on this. Do people keep that private as opposed to, yeah, I'm on a statin, my cholesterol's up, oh, that, that, that silly cholesterol. As a society, there's still that stigma. I think that is what you're referring to. Is that, yeah, is or that like correct? call in late for work because, um, you know, like there's a heart condition or there's something or like yeah. my asthma is working, you know, I can't come in right now. You yeah. can have that same liberty, I think, with saying like the anxiety is really bad right now. I can't come in. Yeah, no, that I, I don't think we're there yet as a society. I'm hoping this young generation will move us forward. And in fact, I'm hoping that podcasts like this uh, move us forward and, and kind of, you know, piggybacking on what Gwen was saying on the whole physical state of it. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I sent around a lot of articles about pandemic wear and tear, the stress of the pandemic, the fact that we've been under the pandemic and the stress that we all feel and the physical damage that stress can have on you. And for me, it's hard for me to disassociate stress from anxiety. I mean, stress, everybody feels stress. We, if you're in society, 
you, you're going to feel stressful. If you have kids, you, you're going to feel stressful. If you got a job, you're going to feel stress. But at some point, like, how can you even divorce those two in order to address the stress, you know, as opposed to addressing the anxiety? Is that even possible? Or are they just so coupled together that you got to deal with the anxiety in order to deal with the stress? I think that the anxiety and stress are interchangeable, right? I think it goes back to asking yourself those questions and just keeping your mind as present as it possibly can be and try to figure out what you have control over so you're not thinking about all the stuff in the future that you can't really solve. Um, so I think that just makes my days a little less anxious because I just say, you know, what can I do right now? What do I have control over right now? I don't have control over the kids, so I'm going to just, you know, monitor them and let them do their thing. But anxiety does look physical in the sense that it increases your breathing, it increases your heart rate, you know, to help you prepare with that intense situation that you feel like you're in. And it um, medically, it's concentrating blood flow to your brain where it needs to be so that you can actually have that fight or flight and act as fast as you can to uh, alleviate that emergency situation. So it does have a physical component to it. To answer Gwen's question again, um, sorry, I keep going back to that. But yeah, Rudy, um, it is... Uh, Stress and anxiety, I think they're interchangeable. And I think that you just have to keep yourself as present focused as you possibly can to get through the day a little bit easier. Because it's, it's, a, it's an irrational fear. It's not a perceived, it's a perceived threat. It's not a real threat. A, a, a wolf isn't exactly coming into your house and is about to eat you. It's like, you know, oh my God, what is so-and-so going to think? How am I going to get through this? What am I going to, it's all like future fears. Or aliens. Rudy, aliens are not. See, hey, see, she's right. I actually have a fear of aliens. And that's not, I'm sorry, that's not a rational fear because there's all kinds of stories out there that they're actually around. The Inquirer thanks you for the endorsement. Keller, if you listen to the last episode with the NASA engineer, you could hear some of my fears there. I'm trying to deal with the fact that I have no control over whether or not there's aliens out there. Okay. I, I'm dealing with it. Okay. I'm, I'm clearly a little off. All right. I understand that I am, but because of gallery, I'm going to have some grace and some patience with myself and I'm going to be better because I can only control what I can control. And actually want, let me ask you a question, gallery, if you don't mind, something that I like to do in order to, I'd like some analysis from you really quick. I like to do to-do lists. Like when I, when I get in the morning, I like to write down and say, okay, I got to do these things. Okay. I write, I write them all down because I, you, you know me, Gwen knows me. I got a lot of balls in the air. Now writing that down, I guess is a sense of like, well, okay, what can I do? Well, I can list out all these things and then I can start scratching off that list. Do you think that's a good way of dealing with, you know, things? Is that positive way? Or do you think the fact that I have these things on the list and they're hanging over my head could be a cause of anxiety? I think it's a great thing. I am all for list making. I am the nerd. I'm the biggest nerd when it comes to list making. If you just see the lists I have, it's, it's embarrassing. My friends joke around. They're like, you won't even remember to use a restroom. You should write that down. <laughs> I, right. It's also good to do long-term goals, I think. And then in your to-do list, make a note of what you're going to, what step you're going to take to get to that long-term goal. That's one of the things that I do. You know, I was going to say that what you, what you're talking about, what's in your control is actually the first habit of the seven habits of highly effective people. You know, that book, focus on what you can control and then your control will get bigger. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask 
Okay. So anxiety, we're talking more about it. And uh, you said there's the possibility that it's because we're more open and we're talking about it. I'm wondering about another possibility. Are we inducing more anxiety with our lifestyle? So like when you're talking about like this heart race and all this stuff, what would happen if we were more fit? Like as a, as a country, you know, we have poor eating habits, we have fast food, um, and then we are constantly bombarded with media, with the light from the computers, with the, with the screen. Um, so many people I know like they have more than one job or they have a side hustle or, you know, American culture, like we have the fewest amount of holidays. Um, we don't travel as much and we almost brag about how busy we are. So I'm just wondering if we, is it that we talk more about anxiety or is it possible that as a culture, we're not eating real food, we're not exercising and we're always busy that we're actually inducing anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. Thank you. I think you're right. I think we are definitely inducing anxiety. I'll just give you an example. And I was telling, I was talking to you about this one before Ruby came on. I could have eaten breakfast at home. I should have eaten breakfast at home, but I didn't. I went, I won't name where I went and I got a smoothie and they were like, you know what? Pineapple matcha green tea smoothie sounds healthy to me, but no, I was wrong. I drank a good amount of that and I swear I, I have heart palpitations still. <laughs> I don't know what they put in that, but it induced, it induced anxiety in me. I did not wake up with anxiety this morning. So I, I really contributed to what I ate. I shouldn't have drank that. So I think that what we put into our bodies, being mindful about what we're putting into our bodies is so crucial. Sometimes we forget our days are so busy. Like you said, we don't have a break. We got kids, we got work, we got so much going on. Sometimes I forget if I've used the restroom. You know what? That could cause anxiety. You can like have heart palpitations and sweating and it cannot be because of, you know, um, it could be because of a physical symptom. I haven't used the restroom or it could be, I did not drink any water today. Like I didn't feed my body what it needs to be fed to be healthy as a human being. So now I'm anxious and depressed because you know what? Depression works hand in hand with anxiety. I don't know if you guys know this, but they kind of do work together. Yeah, I think that the way our society is built and the way our lifestyles are contribute greatly to the sense of anxiety that we have. Really quick, let's see if we could like BuzzFeed this, let's say three things to do when you are confronted with anxiety and is red wine on that list? <laughs> I would say as a breastfeeding mother, yes, it's on the list and I can't wait because I'm not drinking that much these days. Okay, so three things that are on the list to minimize anxiety, you're saying? Or if you're starting to feel anxiety, not a clinical type of anxiety, but more than normal, like the, you know, like from lockdown or whatnot, what are some things to do to combat the anxiety or address it? So I, okay, three things quickly, just right on top, from the top of my head, I would say, um, I have to ask myself, what am I anxious about? Like really, what is going on with me right now? And then what could be contributing to that anxiety? Oh, what I drank this morning? Okay, because I think it's important to know, to be educated about what's going on and mindful about what our experiences are. And let me just up that self-care right now. Provide some patience and flexibility and not try to just fix it quickly. Just let it ride. I like that. That's great. Thank you for that. Zadie agrees. That was great. And Gallery, thank you for joining the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. I'm sure all the audience members are going to get a lot out of it. 
I've gotten a lot out of it. I really my pleasure, and thank you for having me on. Thank you. Have a good day. All righty, you guys too. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can get in touch. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram. Good is in the details pod. And if you're listening on Apple podcasts, please hit subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. If you'd like to become a patron of the show and support the show, we're on patreon.com slash good is in the details. We have a book club there and I just added a new book. Okay. I hope you're in line to get your vaccinations. Looking forward to summer. We have great episodes on the way. And until next time, bye. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness.